Our last scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful God in heaven, as we come before your word, we are in need of your presence, of your power to work in us through this word. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Strengthen us where we need strengthening. Speak against us where we need to be spoken against. And make us a holy people united in and by and through the person and work of Christ who binds us all together and unites us with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Do this work in us, we pray, and we trust that you will. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. You know, uh, before my family and I, we moved to Yakima to start St. Andrews, we spent uh, two years with another church plant up in Bellingham. It's fitting that this story comes when we got two rows of Bellingham people here visiting us this morning. I didn't plan this, but I went to Bellingham before we came to Yakima. Why did we do that? Bellingham's four hours away. It doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. It's not even really strategic. Very different communities if you have never been to Bellingham. But we did this to spend two years to train and to get ready to plant this church. While we were there, I, I got to learn from an experienced church planter who is 10 years ahead of us in this process. I watched, I learned, I practiced. We started doing until eventually they got tired of us and they said, get out of here, go. Now, now go do something somewhere else. You know, go and do likewise is the call. So I got to go experience it. I got to help model it. And then I got sent out to do the same. This is actually a lot of what's happening here with Jesus and his disciples. If you remember back in chapter 3 of Mark, Mark uh, uh, tells us when Jesus anointed the disciples, gathered them to himself, it said, and anointed them. And in the past couple chapters, he's actually been modeling, training uh, the work that they're going to be doing, healing the sick, proclaiming the gospel of his kingdom, calling people to repent, casting out demons. Jesus has been modeling his ministry to his disciples. And now, they're actually finally being sent out. Jesus is saying, now it's time for you to go and do likewise. And he actually sends them out on this short-term mission trip. You know, later actually in this chapter, we're going to read about how they come back and to report to him how, how this short-term trip went. 
And in this, we actually are beginning to see this ebb and flow that happens with discipleship and mission. That Jesus calls people to himself. He trains us up in the gospel, in his word. He does that so that we might be sent out to proclaim it to others that they might come in and be discipled by the same gospel, by the same word that raised us up. I think oftentimes in churches today, we actually can separate these two things. We, we have the churches who are really good at, at doing outreach and missional things. They're kind of a missional church. They do things a little differently. Or, or we have the church over here that they're really good at you know, discipleship, I guess. That's, they, they, they kind of, uh, you come into their doors and you never leave them. Uh, and we kind of pit these two things uh, against each other. The churches that are good at outreach but don't go in depth in the gospel, create shallow Christians. And then we have the churches that spend all their times indoors and never go out lest they get a sunburn. And, you know, I think this is the ditch that we can find ourselves in in our own theological camp is we can be tempted just to stay inside our own doors. But here, both sides of that paradigm are actually challenged to see what true discipleship looks like. Being called to Christ always leads us to proclaim him and to be outward facing. Mission always leads to discipleship. Because as we grow in the Christ, we actually become like Christ. And to become like Christ is to join in the mission of Christ. And for us as a young church that's just beginning, our discipleship side of our our interactions with each other uh, are severely lacking if it never leads us to mission. If nothing that we ever do here ever leaks outside our doors to bring in the outsider, our discipleship's lacking. Because what is discipleship for anyways if not to bring others in? To share in the mission of Christ and his mission to seek and save the lost. And while we can't do the saving part, we don't have the power to actually turn people's hearts from stone to life. We don't have that power, but we do have the power to proclaim. And that's our job. The church's job is actually to proclaim the good news of the gospel to each other so we don't forget, so we grow up in it. And to the outsider, that those who are on the outside might be called to faith too. And what we find before us this morning is this pattern And we're focusing more on the sending pattern as Jesus gathers his disciples. He's been gathering them, training them up, and now he sent them. I think there's three aspects of this mission that we're going to focus on this morning as we learn from Jesus and his disciples. And I think this will be a great help in the various spheres of life that you all find yourselves in. Because the mission of St. Andrews isn't merely to gather other people who already to believe, but to share this good news with the unbeliever, with the outsider, that they might come to know Christ as well that all Christ's children might come to know him. And the first thing we learn about the mission of Christ is this, that Jesus sends his disciples on mission in his power. Jesus sends his disciples on mission in his power. The power that the disciples go out in is not their own. Uh, It's not effective because of their ability to speak. It's actually the power of Christ that makes everything they do Effective. We see this right at the beginning here in verse 7. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. It says Jesus gave them authority. He gave them power. He was able to give it for one because it actually belonged to Jesus. Right? You can't give some, someone something that isn't yours. For instance, if I gave you a key to this building, uh, even though I, I can't give you this building even though I have a key to it. Why? Because it's not mine to give. Just having a key doesn't mean you own the building. Jesus gives his disciples his own authority 
because it's his to give. And he gives it to his, to his apostles. Authority over unclean spirits, over the demons that they encounter. And this same authority that Jesus has used to cast out demons is now given to the hands of the apostles that they can go do likewise. And this authority also gives them the power to heal the sick. We see this is what they're doing here in verse 13. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, this wasn't something that the disciples were doing before. But now, being sent out in the power of Christ means that they were able to do the things that Jesus did. What we learn here is that the mission of Christ can only be accomplished by his power, by his authority. Why is this? Because it's actually his mission. It's not ours. It's not mine. It's not yours. It actually belongs to Christ. He is the one seeking and saving the lost. The disciples are the ones called and commissioned to join Jesus in that mission. I think one of our temptations, if we're prone to start with going straight to mission before preparing, is that we can be tempted to go out in our own power. When we haven't trained up in the gospel and we go out too soon, we can be tempted to go out in our own power and our own strength. When we do this, we can end up calling people to a shallow faith. I think that the flip side is the counter, where we actually overcorrect this so far to where we're in a perpetual state of preparation And we never send anyone anywhere because no one's ever ready for it. But what we find here is that when we are rooted in the person of Christ, when we're filled with his spirit, his spirit will always lead us out into this world. It's what it does. Like a horse to a salt box or like a bee to a flower. We will never be perfectly ready for this mission. The disciples weren't perfectly ready. We get to read about all their failures uh, in in this book. But he sends us out anyways because it's, we're going in his power. And so in this, there's a call to step out in faith, trusting that he is guiding us, trusting that he is using us even though we're flawed, that he is using flawed instruments to accomplish his purposes. And because we're sent out in the power of Christ, and that's part of the mission, begins with being sent out in the, in the power of Christ, we find that Jesus also sends his disciples out with his provision. There's a second thing we find that Jesus sends his disciples on mission with his provision. Jesus sends his disciples out on mission with his provision. We see this right here in verse 8 and 9. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on and, and not put on two tunics. He's saying, listen, don't take anything with you except what you need to walk, right? No snacks for the road, uh, no money, no extra tunics, which this would have been essential for them if they had to sleep outside for an evening. It gets cold. Uh, He's saying you don't even need a a second tunic. The backup plan, uh, there is no backup plan for you. Just go. He's saying bring nothing but your staff and sandals. You don't need a contingency plan. So I am your plan A to Z, meaning bring nothing but you need for your walking gear. So I will provide for you. You don't need food. I will get you food. You, you don't need an extra tunic when it gets cold. I will bring you warmth. You don't need money. I will provide for you. What we see here simply is that where Jesus calls, he provides. Where Jesus calls, he provides. And in verse 10, we actually see how he plans to provide for them. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. He's saying, listen, there's going to be homes that are actually going to invite you in. And they're going to share a bed with you. And they're going to make a meal for you. 
and you'll have everything that you need provided. It's almost like he's saying, like, have, you, have you seen everything that I have done before your eyes, healing people, bringing people back from the dead? Trust me, I can handle food and warmth and clothing and a roof over your head. Go in faith. I think one of the things that this is hard for us is that we're in a culture that we have insurance for insurance, right? Uh, we don't go on a plane without travel insurance or a carry-on, right? We have a carry-on in case our luggage gets lost, and we have extra snacks in case we get hungry on a plane, and you know, we have contingencies for our contingencies. To go on a trip without these things is not just crazy, but it's, it seems irresponsible for us, doesn't it? And oftentimes, our faith is only as strong as our backup plan. And Jesus is saying, and calling us, and saying, I will provide for you. Maybe even more than that, until we actually learn to trust Jesus and step out in faith, to trust him when we don't have all the answers, only at this point can our faith actually grow. It's only here that we learn that the mission isn't ours, right? The power of it isn't ours, and we don't sustain ourselves in it either, but Christ does. Where Christ sends his people, he provides. I think this should be a great comfort to us. That the mission that he sends us out onto in this world does not rest on you, but it rests on him. Because it's his mission. It belongs to him. It's his idea, not ours. We don't have to be frantic about it. We don't have to be Jesus. We just need to point to him. He will do the work. He will open people's eyes and hearts to this truth. It's work that only he can do. We're called to be the presence of Christ in this world, not to be Christ himself. And as we grow in our discipleship, as we grow in our Christ-likeness, having the image of Christ grown in us, we can't help but be the presence of Christ in this world. Discipleship leads us to mission as we're sent out on mission in his power and in his provision. Right? He hasn't given you co-workers and neighbors and family members on accident. This is actually part of the provision from the Lord is the people he has put in your life so that you can share this good news of the gospel with them. You know, I think one of the things I hear most often that keeps people from actually stepping out in faith in this is we often don't know what to say to people. Uh, Because we don't know what to say to people, we don't know where to start, we end up just saying nothing at all, or we think, oh, maybe I'll just wait till they ask me a question, and then then maybe I'll say something. But then what do you do if no one ever asks you a question? Uh, This is where trusting that we are sent into the world by his power and his provision means also that we can have confidence that he provides the message for us too. This is the third thing we see about this mission is that Jesus sends his disciples on mission to proclaim his message. Jesus sends his disciples on mission to proclaim his message. Right, so Jesus sends us out into this world with his power, with his provision, and now with his message. And this is what we find here, that they don't just have these special powers to display, but more powerfully, they have a message to proclaim. And it's the message of Christ. Look with me at verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They proclaim that people should repent. But this is Mark's kind of shorthand way of saying, listen, they're proclaiming the very same things that Jesus did. That, he's, that he proclaimed in, in Mark 1, that the kingdom of God is at hand to repent. They're mimicking Christ. Christ proclaimed his kingdom in repentance, and now they are proclaiming his kingdom in, his, in, his, uh, in repentance. And it's only effective. This word only works when it's the message of Christ. 
His word is the thing that has power. Our preaching is only has power when it's actually the, the message, the word of God. I mean, this small thing teaches us so much about mission. That it's his mission, and so it's his message. You know, what's amazing is Jesus isn't micromanaging them with this message either. He's trained them up. They've spent all this time with them, and now he's saying, go. You can do this. Go. And it says he sends them out two by two with this message. I think one of the, there's a couple of things that make this significant. One is that in Jewish culture, you needed at least right, two witnesses to affirm that what was being said was true. And so sending them out two by two gave credibility to the listeners that what, they're, that what is being proclaimed by the disciples on behalf of Jesus was actually authentic. That it was actually the words of Christ. It authenticated the message that this was the true words of Jesus. And another thing it does is it actually serves as accountability for the disciples. How easy is it for us to think that the Bible said something that it doesn't say? For instance, maybe you've heard this often uh, said, that God won't give you more than you can handle. Maybe you've heard this before. And you think, well, that sounds good, maybe, but it's actually not what the Bible ever says. <laughs> it's kind of a, a, a bad version of 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, which says you won't be tempted beyond your ability, but that's a very different thing. Half the Psalms are about situations which are too much for us to handle. Uh, in fact, that's our lives. It's, it is too much for us to handle. It's meant to point us and bring our lives to, to Christ. So it's so easy for us to actually think things are true when they're, when they're not. It's so easy uh, for us to make these mistakes when we don't have other people around us pointing us back to the actual truths, that what, what the Bible actually says. This is why discipleship and mission begins with discipleship, with learning the Bible and not with going before we know what it says. Because if the disciples went out before they knew the message, how easily would they have gotten it twisted up? How easily would they have made the same mistake that Adam and Eve made, right? Did God really say? First temptation is, is mixing up God's word. We need to know the message before we can share it. I think in this, too, there's a great comfort. Because since the message isn't ours, it's his, we are mouthpieces, all we need to do is learn the content, and then we share it freely. We don't have to be witty. We don't have to be overly interesting we just share God's word with other people and let him work. I think one challenge that we find, though, is that even when we do get the message right, even when we do go out into the world and proclaim it, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to like it. We actually see this right here in verse 11 in the middle of this. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. I said, not everyone is going to respond to the message of repentance with faith. Right? When the message of Christ goes out, it actually always meets opposition. It always has. We're going to dive into this more next week when we look at the death of John the Baptist and the kind of opposition he had from proclaiming God's word. But not everyone's going to want to repent. You know, repentance is this word, you know, simply that means turning from one thing to another. And so in the context of him preaching about the kingdom of God, it's saying, turn from the kingdom of man to the kingdom of God. He's calling us towards a new allegiance, to submit to this new authority. And if you know anything about submission and authority, those two things are not popular subjects. We don't like to submit to, ever, to other authorities. Uh, humanity has always tended more towards the book of Judges, which, you know, they had no king and they did what is right in their own eyes. Uh, we like to decide what's right and wrong. We like to be the judge of these things. 
Many who we share the gospel with will never repent. Many of them will never believe. What do we do with that? Does that mean we just don't, just don't share it? Do we just you know, try to like, put some up some sort of code to say, okay, you want to, okay, now let's talk. And then we just share it with the people that can respond. Well, no, we're called to actually sow the gospel liberally. If you remember the, some of the kingdom parables and the sowing the seeds, we sow the gospel liberally because we don't know who's actually going to come and repent. I don't know the hearts of man. I, I don't know what this person's going to respond to. I don't know who are the people that are elect who are called to be the children of the Lord. And so we sow the gospel liberally. We sow the seeds of the gospel actually wherever we find ourselves. And when someone doesn't want to hear it, you can't force it on them. So you move on to the next person. I think even this, though, it can be hard to hear. Does it mean we just give up on people? Does it just easily, like, that you share and they don't want to hear, you just move on and you just callously move on to the next person? Is that what he's saying? What about stories about people who take years to repent after hearing the gospel? Maybe you have a story like that where you heard it, but it didn't soak in until finally you heard it again and then it took root in your life. What do we do with that? Well, the point here is that we never share the gospel with people who turn away from it. But if you share the gospel and someone doesn't want to hear it, you can't force it on them. In that, we pray for that person. We pray and ask the God who makes stone hearts soft that they develop a soft heart. Right? And then we're ready for when they want to hear. We're ready for when they're willing to listen, to when their heart turns soft. And until they are, you keep sowing seeds in other places. Sowing seeds that some of those seeds that you sow would fall on soft hearts. Soft soil that's ready to receive the good news of the gospel. You know, the truth is, one of the, one of the challenges with this too, though, is that, you know, it's easy, Craig, for you to say this stuff. I mean, your job is you study the Bible and then you get to talk to people about it. That's what you do for a living. Well, what about us normal people? I don't necessarily know it that well, but I just got this normal job with this normal family, with this normal, you know, life that I live. What do we do? How do we apply this to our own lives? Well, you know, truthfully, I'm not called to do what the apostles did either. I'm not, I'm not an apostle. They had a unique authority that was given to them. But there are ways that these principles have direct applications in our own lives. Right? Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a business owner or whatever it is that you find yourself, God has placed you in a neighborhood with real people, in a family, with coworkers for reasons. He has sent you that, that, to them to be a witness to his kingdom. And as you go to these places, as you go into your day today, tomorrow, the next day, remember these things. You are sent in his power to these places. So root yourself in Christ, which means be a part of weekly discipleship groups. Spend time praying and reading God's word. Worship with God's people. Right? This weekly act of worship is actually meant to make you like Christ, training you up in the gospel. And then we have a benediction that actually sends you out into the world with this. Mission actually begins with worship. And as you're sent out into the world, as you go into the world, you're sent with his provision. You don't have to provide for this mission. He, he will. Rest in his provision and step out in faith, knowing that where God has called you, the places that he has placed you. And if you think about it, just in a room like ours right here, with a smaller amount of people, the different places that we find ourselves in throughout the state is actually incredible. 
And God has purposely placed you in all those things, places, provided for you those places that you can be a witness to his gospel and his kingdom. And he sent you to all those places with his message. You don't have to fret about what you're going to say. We're just supposed to open our mouth, to be a friend, to model Christ. And God will open doors and your mouth with words to say when the time is right. And even, even if you mess up and you say the wrong thing, or maybe when you mess up and when you say the wrong thing, this is another time for us actually to model humility and actually apologize, which is modeling the humility of Christ to them. God, Christ will use you and all your imperfections to display his power and his glory to those around you. And the fact that he does use us and he's chosen to use us is actually another sign of his power and his authority that he can use even flawed vessels to grow his eternal kingdom on this earth. So we're called to step out in faith. So even now, think about that one neighbor, that one coworker, that one family member that maybe God has already placed on your heart. To, maybe you've already been praying for this person. If you haven't, start in prayer. Continue to pray. And take a step towards that person this week. Ask them out for coffee or a drink. Maybe engage them. Ask them how they're doing. These are simple things. Take a step towards them. You know, one tool that I like to use when I'm not sure what to say to somebody. I don't know if you can call it a tool, but it's, uh, it's something that Francis Schaeffer would talk about. And he'd talk about the, the rule of 95. It's like 95% of your conversation, make it be a question to the person. Ask them questions. Maybe if you know something about their life, what's a question you can ask them? Or maybe if you don't know where to start, ask them a question like, do you go to church anywhere? And let them respond to that. You don't got to be worried. It's like, they're not going to shoot you over that question, even if it's a little uncomfortable for you. Likely it's not uncomfortable for them. And just continue to ask them questions. Draw them out before you step into their life. Because uh, the truth is, Jesus just has, hasn't just sent me and my family to Yakima, but he's actually sent all of us. Placed all of us in unique places. He sent all of you and other members of other churches in this valley. This isn't my mission. This isn't even St. Andrew's mission. This is Christ's mission. This is his church's mission. This is what we're here to do. And at the end of all this, lest you fall into despair and hear this as only, oh man, I just got to go do a bunch of stuff. Remember how this all began. Christ calling people to himself. Christ calling people to himself to rest in him. This is only done in his power, so we can rest. He provides for this, so we can rest. He gives us words to say, so we can rest. And as you go, you do it in him, united to him, and in community. I think this kind of vision transcends the different pitfalls of discipleship and mission that we tend to, and helps us to live a life that just follows Christ in every aspect of our lives to himself first, and then to our neighbor. May we grow in this as a church. May our discipleship, may our worship always lead to mission. And may our mission in discipleship, may Christ make our words fruitful. May he use us as instruments to call his children to himself. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful and gracious Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word that challenges us, that encourages us. I give you thanks that where you have called us, you will provide for us. Give us courage to step out in faith into our various spheres of life and influence. May we be a people that boldly 
and lovingly proclaim the truths of the gospel. And for each of us, thinking about the various people in our own lives, the various people that we have unique connections to, encourage us to take steps of faith, to to reach out with the power of the gospel, knowing that it rests in you and in your hands and not in ours. No matter how eloquent we are or non-eloquent we are, this is about you and, and your work and your mission. What a joy it is that you invite us in to see it, to participate. Encourage our faith in this, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.